Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. John Kraska cares a lot about libraries. He cares so much, he went out and created a political action committee to advocate for them. Every library, the organization he founded, has been involved in library ballot measures across the U.S., in the U.K., and beyond. The organization fights for school libraries and public libraries and conducts hundreds of training sessions to prepare the library as candidate. Paraphrasing John, the librarian is the beloved community figure 364 days a year and a scheming politician for one, election day. Before we jump in, it is not your ears, but there are a few seconds of audio lag in the interview, the new reality of interviews during COVID. Today, we start our conversation with the origins of every library and why politics is not a dirty word. John Kraska from Every Library, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Truly one of the I think most brilliant minds talking about politics and advocacy in libraries today. I'm glad you could join us. Good we're talking, we're talking this this semester, this season about uh, putting communities and serving communities. And I think that a lot of times we focus on what's happening in the building or with the services that we we put together. But clearly, one of the largest referendum and connections and evidence of connection to community is in election time, when you're talking about budgets, when you're talking about taxes, when you're talking about that. Is that a, a fair way of thinking about it? It is. There's a there's a whole lot of humans out there who are never going to use your library. And that's not a problem. There's no, it's not one of the seven deadly sins. There's no, there's no virtue in using a library. My apologies. Um, the idea that we have to have somebody come in and look at the place in order, if they only came in, David, you know, if they only came in, we'd be, we'd be, no, they're not going to come in. It's like asking somebody to uh, quit smoking and then come into the library, you know, or like quit smoking. And actually, let me, let me rephrase it. Quit smoking and then support the library. You want to change their behaviors. You need to be, if you need to become a, you need to become a supporter, you are really into what you're doing. And I appreciate that, but you're a little disconnected from where the money comes from. Yeah. And so um, talk to me a little bit about what, um, we had a conversation years and years ago when this was first launching and the idea being that we aren't really equipping libraries to have this conversation with the community. And and I, I think the phrase you use, and I hope I'm not gonna steal it, but you can correct it is, you know, 364 days a year, you're, you're their lovely librarian and they wanna say hello to you in the, in the grocery store. And one day a year, you're a political candidate and you gotta get their vote. Is that a fair phrase? That, that's, you, you've got a good memory there, pal. And so talk to me about what your what your thinking was when you formed and, and what's happened with every library. Sure. So we set it up as a we set every library up as a political action committee specifically. It's under the IRS code as a 501c4. And if you talk about uh, form follows function with architecture, the, the form of the organization allows you to function properly in, in a particular sphere. Most of the other organizations, national, state level, provincial, are um, internationally, they're kind of equivalent to internationally a charitable organization. Here in the States, they're a 501c3 organization. Or if they're not a 501c3 organization, in the main, they function as if they were. And it's a nonprofit. 
That's a charitable organization. You know, back in the old days before President Trump, you could make a donation to us to a charitable organization, take a deduction. That's not available in the same way anymore. So the landscape is shifting significantly even pre-COVID. But the 501c4 model of a political action committee means that you can raise and expend unlimited funds to advance your special interest. And oftentimes we talk about PACs, whether it's NPR or Fox News, you hear about nefarious special interests. So I would like to congratulate everybody who's listening here from around the library world. You are my nefarious special interest. <laughs> I don't know if you've been one before or not, but it's kind of exciting because what we do is we bring in money, we bring together people, we build an intentional campaign around advancing a legitimate agenda for that local library. And that, or it might be a legitimate agenda for that state library association. It might be a national conversation that needs to happen. Or in our partnerships now uh, with uh, folks in the UK uh, on the Libraries Deliver campaign, as well as some other work that we've been doing around the edges with some other national library associations, uh, that, you know, inter that national level. Well, I say the word legitimate because what we want to be able to do is focus on what is coming from the community in order to, uh, well, make sure that it has the proper funding formula to actually get that imagined future realized. So some people are going to, um, I've heard a lot of people when they're in the library world that politics is a dirty word, right? It's um, depending on the group is usually politics. Marketing usually gets thrown into their um, customer, though I frankly am, am there with calling people customers. But talk to me about the reality of this, right? Because politics, you mentioned nefarious special interests and such, but Politics is really, it's its a reality. It's a way in which a community shares power and resources, right? Yeah, it is. And the political conversation is extraordinarily important, which is why we set it up as a political action committee. And you can emphasize in different conversations with people, political or action or committee, because, of, you know, they all have little nuances, you know, to them. But the, the 501c4 model of working on politics, raising money, expending money, putting people to work, supporting organizations, um, libraries. 94% of funding for public libraries comes from either the local politicians or the will of the voters. Uh, in my hometown of Berwyn, Illinois, our zip code is 60402. Uh, 60402, 94% of our money comes from that zip code. Actually, 96% if you bring in a couple of dollars worth of donations here and there. Um, and that means that what happens in our city council matters a great deal. And the tawar, the political tawar of the community matters a great deal as well. Um, we have to be mission aligned and also, in a certain respect, helping to realize the value system of the community as a, as a library in order for us to be funded. You know, there's no other reason to do it. That is a political conversation as much as it is a moral conversation or a conversation about tactics and outcomes because it is tax money. 94% of that of that money Sorry, yeah, 94%, 2% donations. If you have more than 2% of donations at your library, that's pretty awesome. The other bulk of it, though, if you bring in state aid and other, you know, maybe grant programs, take a little bit out for philanthropy, it's all political money. Taxes So let's really be honestly and authentically engaged in smoothing out the craziness of taxes and highlighting the role of the librarian and the library worker. So political here is not uh, some Karl Rove or some, um, um, you know, uh, James Carville kind of thing, though it is about it is about the economy. You know, the the political part of it, too, is when you have to go out to the voters directly 
So we've got neighbor, you know, neighbor uh, libraries. We've worked with a uh, hundred and let's see, we're recording September seventeenth. Uh, we've worked with 113 libraries around around the country since we got started about this time in 2012. 113 libraries where we've helped take them to the voters and have been, and, and, and to talk to them, them being the voters, as if we were a candidate. We have a vision and a value system that we want to see in the world. If you agree with us about literacy, about job skills, about all the good things that go on with what a librarian can do if properly equipped and resourced and with library workers can do, library staff can do, if we've got a good team together. If you believe that, you know, if you share my vision, because otherwise it's just, well, it's customers otherwise, you know, and no offense to your, your customer thing, David, I don't actually have a stated opinion about that one. Um, so talk a little bit about, um, because I, where, I, where I'd like to get to is talking mm -hmm. about some of the mechanisms you use from this different approach to get a sense of the community. But if you can give me a larger sense, I am, um, you know, library, I'm, I'm Lexington County Public Library right here in, in the Midlands in South Carolina. Um, mm -hmm. We're gonna be on it because we're gonna go after say a bond issue. Um, mm -hmm. gonna, all right, every library, come help me. What, is that, what does that entail? Sure, so the, um, the, 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 the place to get started <clears throat> is a place of, let me roll, roll back a couple of things. One is the, the general frame for the, for, for the campaign. Are you either, and it is always either, David, there's, there's always nuances within this, but it's always either, are you extending success or are you fixing failure? So the conversation about extending success is we have either data or anecdata data to show that we've got some outcomes that we would like to amplify. We might wanna make that success in, in our services and our facilities permanent because it was maybe grant funded. Maybe it was done with like just bootstrapping it. And we need, we need to make, we need to say, okay, we've proven some set of outcomes, you know, the inputs and the outputs and the outcomes. We've proven some set of outcomes and we want to extend that success by putting it in the tax code, by codifying it in our mission, vision, and values. Not just our values. Our mission is tax driven. Or it's to fix failure. And fixing failure is a a difficult conversation to have, but it's an extraordinarily important one because the failure might be an embarrassment, but it also might be your leadership that says, my personal leadership, my collective leadership as a, a staff team, our board involved perhaps as well, that we have a potential failure in the community or we have a giant gap someplace. And we are currently not, it's not that we don't have the heart for it, we don't have the resources for it. So if we're gonna fix failure, Extend success, fix failure is the two general frames. And then we have to stick to it. And the sticking to it is difficult because I don't know a single library leader, single librarian, anybody who's worked in a library for more than a couple months who doesn't want to be seen as doing more with less. And that's a killer in our industry. We've been conditioned in this industry. We, you folks, I'm not a librarian. <clears throat> I don't have my MLS. I have a lot of respect for the MLS. I don't work in a library. I've never worked in a library. You folks are like on your tombstones. The 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 uh, David Lankies he did more with less. He's a lovely librarian, you know. Like <laughs> not you, but like a whole bunch of folks are. Uh, so okay, let's be honest about and rooted in something that's demonstrable about extending success, or honest about and rooted in stories of success that uh, demonstrate your um, your competency. Okay, 
So like you're worth being funded again. You're, you're basically worth being funded again. You're competent or stories of failure that demonstrate your integrity that you've been able to bring out uh, with the skill set that you have because the librarian in 60402, the library workers in 60402, my, my zip code, your zip code there, are the only experts on librarianship. So your integrity as a professional says, compels you to say, we have a problem we're trying to fix. Join us in this fight. And then where you go from the, the, the frame of extending success or fixing failure into segmenting your audience. And you segment your audience for your communications campaign uh, in a way that is sensitive to uh, their state of being, if I can use that term. There's a, there's a, uh, a as soon as you open up the box, it's Schrodinger's box here, um, they're, they're either a user or a non-user. And there's a different conversation, of course, because there's familiarity, there's tribalism in a certain respect. There's a lot of education that one has to do and a lot of nostalgia that one has to be able to activate for the non-user. But that's not the primary audience. That's a nuance within the audience. Within the audience is who else cares about extending your success or who else cares about fixing your failure? Not, not your failure, the failure in the community. Sometimes it's your failure, though. Like a lot of building initiatives are because the place has fallen down around your ears, you know? But who else cares? And uh, generally speaking, that's more than just um, literacy. And, and I hate to say it, but in the COVID era, we have to get ourselves a lot bigger, a lot faster than just the literacy. Who else cares? Economic development, uh, workforce, um, health and informatics, interesting place to live once, you know, even now, a thriving place to live even now. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, folks out there and a lot of organizations and agencies and stakeholders then, David, that we go through and help triage based on who else cares. So are we extending success? Are we fixing failure? Are we talking to a non-user or a user? That's a good frame, but about what? Because the ultimate elephant, and I don't mean the elephant in the room, I mean that like idea of the, 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 the person, who, uh, the blind person who touches the elephant doesn't know if you're blindfolded, you don't know if it's a trunk or the legs or whatever. The library is the elephant. Because if all you care about is literacy, you've got the, you got the, the literacy part of the elephant. And you have no idea about workforce. You got no idea about, but but you actually care about your community. So politics, um, the idea of a political campaign of of advocacy going on in this sort of public democratic process um, mm -hmm. these days is all about data and and anecdata is the first time I've I've heard that phrase. Um, oh, yeah. Anecdotal data, anecdata. Um, yeah. Well, I also would like to vacation in Portman too. It's a great town. <laughs> Um, where do you get that data, right? So once again, you're walking into Lexington, you want to get a sense of where it is. Is it lying around? Is it you pay for it? Is it you go out and walk the streets? How are you mm -hmm. getting that data about these different communities and the different segmentation? Sure, sure. So if you have um, the best thing in the world is a is a poll of voter attitudes and community attitudes that asks more than just uh, what do you think about the library? It also asks, what do you think about the staff? Um, and it asks questions about one's tolerance for taxes. You know, our, uh, it asks the questions about one's priorities for the community, and then where does the library fit into those priorities? And if the library is even being seen as a realizer of, or a an agent in affecting change in the community. 
Um, there's a, the, the pole is a instrument that could be fielded by a, a library friends group or a foundation or some sort of third party. I'm only saying pole outside of the library because it depends on your lawyer. Uh, legal counsel around the, the library world, public library world, varies tremendously in both their understanding of election law and their comfort with elections. Um, so there is a necessary moment, perhaps, where the library has to step back based on, on the advice of counsel from asking questions that include tolerance for taxes. But those have to be asked by somebody. If you take those tolerance for taxes questions out, you have a survey. And we do a ton of surveys in this community. But why don't we ask the right questions for a change? Um, it's, not, it's not about, um, well, it's about the, the perception of the staff. That's a difficult conversation to have. It's, a, it's about value systems within the community. And it needs to be targeted to non-users as much as it's targeted to users. If all you're looking to do is tune up your user profile, that, that's not even a, a poll or a survey. It's just a questionnaire. And I never go into questionnaires. We keep it up here on survey or even better on poll. The non-user needs to be questioned about what they believe that you should be doing with their tax money. And if there's, if you don't understand the belief system of the voters in your community, you're, you're never going to make it. Um, we've had polls, they've come back and said, the thing that the, the voters believe most the services to, to the blind and visually impaired and, and folks with reading uh, um, difficulties. And the, the library team came back and looked at each other and said, do we do that really? And they, yes, we do. We've been talking about it for years over here in this little department. And uh, we're, we're like a, a node in the, in the whole matrix of getting people access. You know, the voters in the community, I mean, it's weird that they didn't see story times being the first thing, but there's a whole bunch of people who see story times being the first thing. And there's a whole bunch of people who see the workforce and the economic development side of things, but from a from a non-user's perspective, David. So our advice, you know, polling is great, surveys are great. The non-user component here about value system, about belief system is key. Depending on what they've got laying around, we can help them figure out whether they have some breadcrumbs or not, but most libraries don't, let's be honest about it. I don't care how many circulations you've had, I don't care how many people have come to your programs. Um, I do care, though, in COVID right now as to whether or not what you're doing is being seen as addressing critical needs. Um, the, the, there are two, traditionally, two, two types of um, uh, coalitions that get built around any issue, whether it's the whales, gay marriage, libraries, you know. Um, there's a coalition of common cause, you know, we're, we're in this together to advance a policy agenda, or a coalition of common concern where we're in it to support a population of people, you know, or perhaps a, a, a pod of dolphins. The, um, <clears throat> now in COVID, we have a third area, which is fear. You know, are we going to come back? Are we going to survive this? Are we going to get through, or, or, or are those people that I'm concerned about. I'm fearful that we're not gonna. So the library has to understand, instead of just tell people, they have to understand whether or not it's landing as to whether or not they are addressing a common concern, engaged in a common cause, or, I mean, it's not polite to talk about fear, but we're all adults in the room here, uh, you know, holding back, holding back the boogeyman.
We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. So you've been doing this, as you mentioned, 160 plus libraries. You've been doing this for a couple of years. Clearly, everyone loves libraries. Why do we even bother with this? Because who wouldn't fund libraries? In your experience, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's have a real talk about communities, parts of communities that, that don't support libraries. Sure. So my colleague Patrick Sweeney and I uh, go to political conferences on the on the left and on the right, so you don't have to. And uh, no, really. So we, one of the ones we go to uh, is the American Association for Political Consultants. You know, it's the nation's oldest and largest association for political consultants. You know, like they, back, there's pictures from back in the day with like Kellyanne Conway dancing with you know, James Carville at a reception. It's kind of it's kind of curious. Um, but we're standing around at some reception in uh, Nashville the year before PLA was there. Oh, what do you guys do for a living? Some some guys asking us in the circle, you know, cocktail in hand back when that was legal. We work with libraries. He's like, oh, man, I love libraries. Nobody's going to vote for them, you know. <laughs> so and everybody else around the, around the circle was like, oh, man, I love libraries. My kids, my wife, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, how's it going with the funding? You know, and these are people who run candidate campaigns. They run issue campaigns. They run people for president and governor and senator. And they don't see us in the mix because we have failed to show up over the last 25 or 30 years into that political conversation. We are a passive um, organization or a passive uh, a community, I think, where we are uh, expecting to tell somebody else's story about us. And then they'll turn into an advocate for us. I don't know anybody who does that. You know, I don't know any any political movement that succeeds for that. Um, we tell stories in libraries as if storytelling advocacy does something to create advocates like mushrooms that come out of the earth. You know, so we we don't we don't see it like that uh, at every library. We know pretty firmly that in order to move a conversation forward, you have to be actively engaged in in, in ideas and ideals. And without that sort of an active voiced kind of movement uh, or that, that, that sort of approach to, to a movement, um, you are going to see what we have been seeing in public libraries and in school libraries and God help us on campuses soon where the attrition becomes a snowball, which becomes an avalanche. Um, we would like to help stand in that gap and push against that problem by encouraging folks to embrace what else already thinks of them, which is their librarianness. It, it, it's extraordinary how much that image of the librarian carries political power, instills great fear uh, also. So I don't know if I'm really asking, answering your question though right at this moment though. Let me come back around to what your question was, David, help me out here. Well, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, for example, in rural Maine, um, in mm -hmm. Illinois, parts of Illinois, when the library budget came up, when the bond issue came up, there was not just will people vote for it or not, there was actual active advocacy on the other side. Why are we spending this money? What's the value? Thank you. I went down a different rabbit hole. My apologies. Um, 
Well, here's the thing. There's, there's a lot of um, disconnect in this country between what taxes do and you know, what, why taxes are, are, are paid. And that's because the narrative on the libertarian right uh, and the right in general has been putting a wedge between people uh, and policy for years. Um, there's a, a framework around deregulation and uh, scaling down uh, the tax burden for the extremely wealthy, that there's a psychology to it all. They've convinced all of us that we're going to be rich someday, so we should protect the rich. Um, it's, I, I don't want to, that, that's a cocktail conversation. Um, that said, there are legitimate political ideologies out there authentic political ideologies that are deeply held belief systems that say we should be progressively taxing ourselves to fund the common good. I would like to see parks. I want to see roads. I want to see bridges. I want to see people taken care of. My heroes are people who take care of other people, and I want to see our society aligned along that. There's also a, a, a deeply held political belief that is not opposite to taking care of people, but it's how you choose to take care of people. That libertarian idea says, let's remove barriers, let's lower regulation, let's cut taxes, and let the marketplace and the individual succeed. And the idea of this being, um, if they would only pay attention and come in and see how, how cute the kids are, will we'll succeed. No, this is, a, this is a war of ideological proportions. And if we're not engaged beyond, uh, let's say, um, uh, First Amendment rights, if we're not engaged more than just freedom of access in what it means, we're, we're really comfortable, by the way, in being very political. This whole idea that librarians are not political is bull. You know, like we're very comfortable storming a particularly shaped barricade. Interesting. I want to go back to something you said about um, waiting for other people to, in essence, advocate on our behalf. And mm -hmm. this is this is not a uh, strong, well, evidence proven technique moving forward. Um, but I do want to clarify, because I've always said, so either you can correct me or I can make sure I'm pretty much more nuanced, which is your best advocates are not you. In other words, it's the people that you serve. That's different than saying, just sit back and wait and hope that they advocate for you, right? That, that a library, yes, we want those voices. And yes, maybe they're the one they're the one who shows up in the senator's office and maybe they're the video that goes out or the ad. But that's different than saying the library is passive in this. They're the one sort of they need to actively orchestrate uh, support or am, or am I we need the librarians sitting up there front row or both there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, who else cares about what I do? All right. You know, for, for me, as a as a, um, a leader of a relatively small, very active political organization inside libraries, who else cares? OK. I asked that question very actively through marketing, through engagement person to person, or it's scaled digitally. Who else cares? Do you care? Great. There's a couple ways you can get involved. If you care, one is to support our work financially as a donor. Another is to be a, a volunteer. Another is to be a, um, 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 a constituent, if you will. You show up with your good name for me someplace else. You vouch for me. Okay. There's a number of ways that I as the leader of this organization can ask people if they believe in what we're doing to do something. And then if I was to walk away from them and expect them to do it all for me, they are out without a net and they won't be out for very long. We've been conditioned in this industry to say, tell a story and therefore, and then and people, maybe it's because we're wired in this industry to be storytellers. 
you know, and to love stories so much that we are the kind of people who pick up a book, listen to an audio, talk to another human being and ask them, I mean, every single librarian I know has a deficit that will never be made up in this particular incarnation other people than have been asked of them. You know, it's like, are you just it's extraordinary to me. How, you just glitched for a minute. Could you go back? What, what, yeah, what's your so deficit? Every, every single librarian I know has, has, a, has a deficit that will not be made up in this particular incarnation of asking other people more questions about themselves than they will ever get in return. Hmm. Nobody ever asks librarians, so tell me about your job. They're dying to tell you. You know, the librarians are dying to tell you about their job, but librarians are so good at the reference interview that it pervades everything else, you know? So what I'm getting to is if I, as a leader, just said, here's my story about political action, and I didn't ask you to do something, number one, a lot of failure to ask to do something, and number two, if I didn't stand in front of you primarily, because it is my organization, let's be honest about it, I mean, I appreciate you having me on, on the show here, David. I know you appreciate what we're doing, but if I was like, David, Go talk to somebody on my behalf and ask them for ten thousand dollars. You'd be like, nah, I can introduce you. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So we the, the the agency, the sense of agency that it takes for a library leader to lead needs to include the, the, the understanding that folks will come with you when you ask. They'll stay with you if, when when you're when they're needed, but then they're not you. Like leadership is not is not about having somebody that's manipulative in a certain respect. And this industry ex wants to be behind the scenes way too much. Our sector is very comfortable with the idea of being a Koken or some sort of like supernumerary. Mm -mm. Front and center, you're, 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 yeah. All right, so to pick it up on this, who tells whose story and narrative and switching to the fact that, you know, talking politics, six months ago talking you know community service six months ago we're in a different world right presidential campaigns local campaigns knocking on doors all of this is in a different world one of the things that we talked early on um was we both acknowledge the importance of narrative it's not alone but but narrative is important what's the story we're telling how do we build that that image mm -hmm. the closing during covid was not a shining example of that. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts about what happened when public libraries began to close? Not that all of them did, but began to close in March. Sure, sure. Well, the, the, there was great trauma across many different sectors of society at that point. And the, the need to close um, externally in order to help protect the community, I think was, was absolutely true. I mean, my, but the methodology of, in which we engaged it, you know, the dialogue inside the industry, mercifully enough was happening out in every other sector of society that nobody else maybe than us noticed. We, we, we were not, we, we've been a bit unprepared professionally to deal with crisis. Uh, I'm looking back, uh, let me rephrase this a little bit. We've been a bit unprepared professionally to deal with crisis. We've also been a bit unprepared professionally to embrace opportunity. And I think it's two sides of the same coin, David. Um, I don't look at the shutdowns, which were impossible to do in an orderly fashion, as the problem. I look at the reopenings and, and, and addressing the reopening issue as being a little bit more important because we didn't do it as an industry in a way that built power 
or, or built relationships any more than we took advantage of, say, the changes to the Workforce Innovation Act of, you know, almost 10 years ago, where libraries are part of the one-stop solution now for, for government. There's, there's hundreds of millions of dollars in, in funding available through the Department of Labor for remedial literacy for adults. And I've done surveys of, this, of, of the grantees and if I can find five libraries across 50 states over five years, I'll give you that money. You know, like we, we, we are not aligned towards opportunity and therefore we leave a lot on, on the table. We're not aligned towards towards crisis response in the proper way either, except when it comes to utilizing our front lawns. And now we don't have our front lawn or or, or our um, uh, uh, parking lots available. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not nervous or concerned right now because the new normal is starting to take over um, about you know whether somebody in particular is open. I have nothing to say about whether your library should be open or my library should be open right now given the way that, um, you know, like my zip code in Berwyn is very different than the zip codes, you know, not too far away. That has to be in uh, an orderly fashion. Um, what I'm worried about and this is just a little preview for you here. We're going to be releasing, uh, today's the 17th of September, what's a week from today, 24th of September, um, a survey that we did with uh, Counting Opinions. Um, it's an ongoing quarterly survey on e-measures. Um, the IMLS data, the PLS data, the, the big corpus of information that libraries report from their reference desks up to the state libraries, up to the, the IMLS, it's all aggregated. What are we doing? Are really focused on that front lawn, parking lot, third place inside the building, what have we done in person, you know? And what I'm seeing, uh, what, what I saw around the beginning of COVID alongside our colleagues at Counting Opinions was that nobody has any idea what we're spending on electronic or virtual or digital. Nobody has any idea what we're circling on, except for a couple of the app providers. Nobody has any idea about, about how do you even score a reference interview on a Facebook Live, okay? And those data points that we need in order to develop rich narratives about our outcomes aren't being collected. So we decided to collect them. Mm -hmm. And what we found in the survey, a little bit of a preview here, and it'll be up on our Every Library Institute site, um, along with Counting Opinions, is that, yeah, everybody did their best to embrace the pivot, okay? Some folks were more capable than others. Uh, on, a, on a scale of one to five, were you very prepared? Were you very capable? Done, like we had people brutally honest with it, saying, yeah, I didn't have the equipment, I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the technology. And I think we're going to see people catching up on and you know, moving forward on the stuff that they can control. But the philosophy of whether or not we're going to advertise it, mm -hmm. the philosophy of whether or not we're going to be in a coalition, the philosophy of whether or not we're going to talk to elected officials or politicians about what we're doing, that has to change. We've, we've got a situation where coming in, coming, you know, you got to shut down the building. You got to rapidly pivot to digital. You you pour money on it, okay, and then you never tell anybody you have it. That's where I'm at right now, David. Well, it's interesting because you talk about the new normals coming in place, and I talked a little bit about new normal agendas and such. I'm wondering when when we did the fast close down. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the front lawns and the uh, parking lots, but in fact, that's for a couple of weeks, that was literally all we had to offer was Wi-Fi that we turned on and maybe boosted the power to the parking lot. Maybe, yeah. Then, you know, I 
I've heard several libraries say, yeah, pour money on on e-resources and e-books, primarily because what else could they do? And mm -hmm. in doing so, they reinforced the library as a place to get stuff. They reinforced, um, they really put vendors, Overdrive benefited greatly, right? And their branded apps and such mm -hmm. helped that. I'm wondering, as I look at libraries moving ahead, right? How do they want to reclaim a bit of that, integrate it back into a larger narrative about what the library does, physical and digital? Um, mm -hmm. But I'm also thinking, I love your point about the coalition, right? Who do we have moving ahead? So when libraries used to talk about broadband, the idea that, you know, everyone needs to be connection and the message, I would love to say, put this in the past tense was, but still very much is, um, come to the library, we can get you connected, right? Not everyone's got a library in the home, but that's okay. We're the safety net, they can come to the library. You may be poor, you may be rural, you may be whatever it is, but come on in and we'll fix it. Mm -hmm. And then this pandemic hit and that strategy was completely useless, right? Yeah. And so then, and, and we bypassed the real debate, which was universal broadband as policy and utility mm -hmm. and such. Mm -hmm. The other part, but when we talk about moving ahead with that, when we talk about making that the new agenda, Copyright. When when libraries went online, they did story time and they picked up the books and they started reading on Facebook Live and violating copyright in the process because copyright didn't necessarily accommodate that act and yet it probably should. Right? There was mm -hmm. lots of things that we learned that we could be doing. And I think mm -hmm. the, the, the silver lining here is the potential partners in the coalition to do that are now very different and I think very positive. Take universal broadband. It's not just libraries that want universal broadband and a few college students who want universal broadband. It's you know Boeing Corporation that sent their executive staff home where they don't have where they might have satellite service maybe. It's mm -hmm. um, it's all the schools that sent all the kids home for virtual instruction and found out that no one showed up because they literally couldn't show up because they didn't have access. Um, it was how many devices could we loan out? And so now it seems like when, if we're going to re-engage in this conversation, which we should as an industry, the people we're bringing alongside us are more politically literate. They have, um, they have been doing the advocacy side. They have more money. They have potentially greater attention in certain circles. That the the problem we shouldn't waste is saying, okay, now we do care about this. It it's we shouldn't use this. We shouldn't lose this opportunity to go to those corporations, government, et cetera, and say, we have a common cause here. Let's work together on this. Oh, I'm 100 percent with you. Um, one of the one of the difficulties that we run into whenever we're helping run a local library campaign, whether we're standing alongside our colleagues in a state library organization association, whether it's a school library facing one or a multi-type facing one. And what we see when the national state of play, you know, when we take a look at the national state of play, um, we don't have a very broad portfolio. The, the idea that we're part of a solution that's broader than literacy, and even in literacy, we're not always seen as the primary, um, that, that, that's fascinating to me that we spent this long, this much money and this much effort with these many hundreds of thousands of humans working in this in, in this sector of libraries, and we're not actually at at the table because we don't show up to the table. Um, the right now we're working in a couple of, of places on 
so on, on the school library side, let me get away from public for a minute just so that we can kind of clear our, our baffles on, on, on most of the listeners here. So on the school library side, um, funding for education flows from the state to the, the local district. And then the, the flows from the state to the local district, there's local taxes as well, okay? Um, that funding formula is under grave peril right now under COVID because Congress, as of this recording, hasn't done its job to help support the future uh, the states, okay? And the localities have um, a real deficit right now because uh, sales tax, use tax, hotel tax, gas tax, cigarettes, lottery, everything's down. Property taxes, according to Standard & Poor's, they did a session for us for our conference last week, just for libraries. It's pretty great, David. The, uh, the, um, they, they're showing that property taxes are pretty stable, okay? But the states are in real peril. Um, so what we're trying to do is, is bring a couple of support, bringing a couple of our uh, state library association, school librarian association colleagues to state education coalitions because they have not been forever. And it's not that they don't have friends, perhaps, that they, they can talk to who are part of a state education coalition by accident, but in Arizona, there's a, a measure called Invest in Ed, which is a state campaign. It's a ballot measure that would re-index um, the uh, income taxes, okay? There's an initiative happening in Pennsylvania called uh, PA Schools Work that is about talking in Harrisburg about taxes, okay? Bringing the school librarians to that table and having them be on the committee that's shaping legislation or advancing a ballot measure means that if you've helped write the bill, you're actually in the bill. Where we fail, David, again and again and again at a national and at a state level, and it's been like this for years, and it's frustrating to me personally, is that we fail to understand from a legislative perspective in DC, in the state houses, that if we're not in the bill, we'll never be in the budget. If you're not in the authorization, you'll never be in the appropriations. So coalition to me is focused on how do you get into the authorization to begin with. Like I mentioned a little while ago, we're in the authorization for the Workforce Innovation Act. Nobody's trained since then about some, you know, there was a victory lap done, you know, a few years ago about that. But then nobody's trained up the librarians about how to get the money because we're eligible for it. But there's a giant pools of, of uneligible. Uh, Department of Ag, Department of Labor, HHS, uh, Department of Commerce, and the state equivalents for that have no language where libraries are in there. And at the local level, if you have a library district, you might have yourself an island. You're not part of the coalition on homelessness. You're not part of the coalition on workforce. You're not part of the coalition on literacy even sometimes. It's killing us, man. If we want to move forward in a crisis budget, which is what everybody's going to be experiencing, that same problem with the states is going to hit public libraries too. Whether you're a district or not, the funding formula for your state matters more than the formula for your particular library. Because every, if you're a library district, you want to be the last functioning part of government, you don't want to be the last functioning part of government. <laughs> and if you're a department inside a city or a county, it doesn't matter if you get bailed out directly by some magical act of Congress. If your city or your county isn't supported and your state is in the, is in the budgetary doldrums, you're, you're done too. Yeah. We, we're not standing our alone here. I, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hope filled. 
not hopeful, but hope-filled, that <clears throat> this crisis where there's austerity budgeting coming can be disrupted by coalition work. Hmm. Austerity budgets seek to uh, cut instead of find efficiencies. They seek to cut instead of finding new revenue. And austerity budgets pit one part of government against each other. And austerity budgets say that they're data-driven, and we have no data. Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking Dallas Public Library, I think, laid off half their staff. I was talking with a state librarian, you know, about three weeks into this, who said, yeah, I was told point blank that my budget's been cut by 50%. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, and, and to Dallas's uh, credit, though, uh, it was not a targeted effort at the library. The, the entire right. city of Dallas went down a giant step. And when it's spread out like that, it just emphasizes to me how you've got to look at Austin or Washington, D.C., that, that you could throw money at the library. I don't even know legally how you could do that. If you're, right. but, but that's a whole other matter. Right. Interesting. Well, let me just, um, before, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but let me, one, just emphasize that every library is an amazing resource, um, and I recommend uh, people listening to this to, to take some time with the Every Library Institute with Research Development. Just put on a brilliant conference. They have webinars, training materials, books, everything that really, in an extremely pragmatic and useful way, talks about how you can truly engage your community at the level of, and I like how it was put, right? The, the public resource question, the tax question, Right, we, we, we talk, you know, if you think politics is a deadly word, which it is not, think about it as the, you know, the ongoing conversation about how, how taxes are used to improve our communities. Please take some time to, to go to every library, take the time of those and take some time to support every library because as, a, as a, an organization, they depend on people coming up and supporting the work they do. Um, and so I just wanna go ahead and put that blurb in if, if that's all right. Last thoughts, my friend. Well, first off, you, you did exactly what any good leader should do, which is to cultivate somebody who's not part of the organization to represent, you know, in a moment <laughs> on, on your behalf. You know, that's exactly right, David. You're off the hook now for the next 364 days, okay? Oh, I'll take you. you know, leading this organization and bringing other people out with me. Now, final thoughts right now is that the, the biggest thing in COVID is going to be, the biggest thing that's coming in COVID is the idea of austerity. Um, the, the, there's, there are two philosophies of government, the same philosophy of government at the local level that says tax is theft. Let's, let's cut our taxes. Let's people, you know, we'll, we'll deregulate is of course in Congress right now. And it's in many, many state houses right now. And this is an opportunity for them. This is not a problem for them. The, the philosophy that says let's shrink government. Let's, 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 um, um, tax less taxes, theft. They are going to take an extraordinary advantage of this. Um, we saw it even after the Great Recession in 2010, 2011. We moved from uh, the American Reinvestment Recovery Act, the stimulus, the relief bills, into sequestration. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but I sure do. There was a federal law that said for, for many years there after, after the recession, yeah. where we the stimulus, that's coming again. And libraries, uh, library leaders need to be engaged in the ideals and the ideas of what they're doing because this is an ideological fight. It's not just a, a, a provision of service. Thank you very much. Always, always interesting. I always learn a lot. And um, um, I think it's, it's something that 
this is a once again an approachable and useful and amazingly important conversation and so when we talk about communities often we talk about what we do for communities but we also have to talk about what they get in return and uh that's and, and we have to be smart about doing it thank you sir uh enjoy your hotel room well it's a, it's an unusual trip so thank you very kindly for your time this morning and uh, and i'm looking forward to hearing from folks uh, everylibrary.org everylibrary.org very good all right thank you again cheers